Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon from lead pastor Joe Still. And for more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. This morning, we are continuing in our end of summer series that we're calling Unshackled. Uh, And this morning, my goal here is this. I want to kind of confront a fear. Okay, I want to kind of confront a fear. Now, before I get deep in message, I need to give a bit of a disclaimer on this message. This message is not going to give you permission to be a bonehead. Okay? Because some people may take it as license to do that. This, this message is not to give you permission not to think of yourself as needing to be accountable to people that God has put in close proximity to your life to help you walk with him more effectively. This message is not about that, okay? So don't, don't misconceive that. Um, so those are, th- th- that's what I'm not going to tell you today, okay? But here's what I, I, I want to do. I want to think about a fear specifically. You know, people who study fears and phobias in, in our culture um, tell us repeatedly that the number one fear that shows up in studies is what? Do you know? Public speaking. It's the fear of public speaking. Um, You know what, and and this bounces around number two and three bounces around somebody. You know what shows up as number two often? Death. People are afraid of death. Some of y'all may remember the Seinfeld stick on this. You know, he said, you know, sir, if, if that information is correct, then when somebody goes to a funeral, you know, they're more afraid of standing on stage giving the eulogy than being in the box. Seems a little, little strange, you know. But that, that seems to be true. Is people, people, we all have some fear in our lives. And instead of talking about either of those two fears today, here's the fear I want to talk with you about. I want to talk to you today about oladoxophobia. Does anybody know what oladoxophobia is? Oladoxophobia. I'll give you a little hint. Doxophobia is the fear of sharing your opinion. You fear your, your opinion would be rejected. Oladoxophobia is a fear of everybody else's opinion. I'm being serious. You can Google it. Oladoxophobia is a, you know, it's a condition that people have. They're, they're, they're afraid of other people's uh, opinions. And I want us to think about that today because it has bearing on our freedom in Christ. Now last week in the message, one of the things that I said over and over and over again was this. Christianity is not a religion. Okay? Now, it was kind of like the point of the message. That Christianity is not a religion. And maybe I should have given a little disclaimer on that because um, I realize that some people, maybe students would go to school and, you know, and a teacher may be naming the world's great religions and named Christianity. And and I'd have been the kind of student that said, oh, there, teach. Christianity is not a religion. You need to know that. Have it on good authority. My pastor said so. Yeah. You don't want to go do that. Don't, don't, you're not looking to poke somebody. I pick a fight with that. Okay, um, by the world standards, yeah, maybe so. But so I, I need to clarify what I meant when I said last week that Christianity is not a religion. And here, here's my clarification: Christianity, not a religion. It's not. When you know, when I said last week that Jesus came to set us free from religion, what I really meant to say was Jesus came to set us free from religion. That's what I meant to say. Okay? In case you missed it, that's what, that's what I hope to communicate last week. Now, many of you understand that as great, incredible, beautiful news because you grew up in a religious tradition where you were kind of beat over the head with rules. The rules of religion. You, you kind of grew up that way. You, you might show up in a church setting week after week and you'd leave week after week feeling defeated. Hopeful that maybe somehow this week when you came back you would have done something to be good enough. And it became a prison for you. Just kind of a prison. But then you came to know Jesus and you got set free from that. 
Others of you, maybe when you, you, you hear that Christianity is not a religion, you might feel a little threatened because you think, hey, man, it's been my religion since I was, you know, knee-high to a grasshopper. It's been, that's, I grew up on that, on that system. Well, your prison might be a little different because you might be institutionalized. You might have become so comfortable with the system and you understand how it works and you've, you know, you've worked really, really hard to achieve some certain level of status with the other inmates. And you're saying, man, don't tell me, you know, I, I, I kind of like my prison. But the Bible says Jesus came to set all of us free from that. And I want to tell you, life on the outside is much better than on the inside of this freedom thing. And so, as we continue into this series, Unshackled, celebrating the freedom that we have through the letter Paul writes to the Galatians, it's just something important to grab hold of. Now, one of the, one of the great privileges that um, I have, I think most every pastor has, is we have the privilege of at times getting to pray with people. I, I told you, you know, we, we had a, a gentleman that we prayed for after the first service and, um, and, and a young lady that we also got to pray, pray with about something. And, um, and so people will come to you and ask you to pray. And many times it's for a spouse or, you know, a family member. And there's often times, this is a recurring one, and this is troubling, but it's true. Parents will come and ask us to pray for their wayward child. A, a child that's kind of gone off the rails. Um, and oftentimes it'll be a 20-something and they'll say, you know, it started when they went off to college. Um, and then they'll kind of unpack what that, what that looks like uh, for just a, a minute. And I don't say that now because I know some of you have kids that have just gone off to college. I don't say that to worry you. Um, in, in fact, one of the things I would encourage you to do if you're a parent of a college student is you need, you need biblical community. You need to be praying for one another and getting other people to pray for your students while they're away at school. We have a, a, a pathway for that called The City. It's our kind of online church social community, just kind of in-house kind of thing. You can get on The City by going to our website and typing in the search engine The City and it'll take you to a place where you can actually sign up and get on the city and you can just share hey church please be praying for my 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 you know young adult child at so and so and um, it'll do that if you're technologically challenged sometimes like I am and you need help um, you can contact Lynn Kite either through her email or call the church office and she'll she's the mayor of the city she'll help you do that um, but it's just a way we, we need to support and encourage one another in that area of our, of our lives and th this conversation I had with this mom was back when we were doing the series on grace a few months ago and and she said something the way she framed it was really insightful and it stuck with me I, I wrote it down even she, she said this as she was explaining about her, her daughter she said we raised our daughter in church but I've realized we didn't raise her in Jesus and that's an all too often realization for parents and it you know as a pastor at a church it kind of kicks you in the gut when somebody says something like that, you know, it, it just kind of, the, the thought that somebody could come to church but not be raised in Jesus, be raised in the church but not in, in Jesus. And it's, it's, it's far too common, quite frankly, happened far too often that somebody kind of grows up kind of knowing the rules that we want people to keep but don't know Jesus and the freedom that he came to bring. And when that happens, you know, it's, it's a travesty. And sometimes we use those rules for control or whatever, but we're not helping people experience the love of God, the, the mercy of God, that he would send his only one, only son, one and only son to die so that we could be set free from religion. Because of his limited love, limitless love and his amazing grace, he just, he comes to do that for us. And we need to be captured by that. Because that's the only way we will ever kind of keep the rules that we'll ever walk in holiness. The Bible says, it's not going to come up on your screen, you may want to write it down, Romans 2, 4 says this, it says, God's kindness is what leads us to repentance. It's God's kindness that, somehow we miss that. 
Sometimes we think it's his wrath that, you know, we're going to repent because God's wrathful. But true repentance comes from loving God. Not, not through just as knowing his wrath. Now, I get that he gets people's attention that way sometimes, but it's his, it's his love that we need to know. And I know that that makes some people a little uncomfortable because you're saying, Joe, what about, you know, all these other things, these rules, we got we to keep them, we got to live holy. The Bible says we need to do this. And I want you to hear me say, I get it. I, I, I know that the Bible says that. But when I get into conversation with somebody that's really want to be heavy rules and regulations and religion, I, I, I take them, if we're over coffee or something like this, I, I like to practice something called napkin theology. Napkin theology is where you can just simply draw a little something on a napkin that helps communicate uh, kingdom truth or kingdom process. And when somebody comes kind of going all rule and regulation and religion on me, I, I introduce them to what we call around here the covenant and kingdom tribe. Uh, diamond. And the Covenant Kingdom diamond is illustrated up here. Uh, it, it's simply this. that There are two big themes in the scriptures. One is called covenant and the other kingdom. They're both in, in both testaments. You'll see this. Uh, covenant is about relationship. Kingdom is about, you know, the, 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 the power of God. And uh, if I think about them this way, it's about relationship and responsibility for me. That's how I live in that. But the, the kingdom diamond illustrates this, that, that God is Father. And when we come to know him through his son Jesus as Father, then we're, he, he gives us our identity. He gives us a new identity as his kids. And it's only through that relationship with God as Father and coming into that identity that we're able to live towards holiness in, in obedience. Now, a lot of people try to do it backwards. They try to, to look at God as Father, but they try to start by obeying their way into an identity. It never works. You can't do it backwards. I tried. Lots of people in this room have tried to, you know, obey their way into a relationship. You can't do it. It only comes through trusting God, letting God identify who you are in relationship to him. And then you can out of that live obediently. Kingdom is about God being the king. And a king has authority. And the Bible tells us, Jesus said, that all authority had been given to, to him and on earth. And he gave it to his disciples, those who follow him. So God gives us his authority. And when we get connected to that authority, really, it really helps us live out our identity more powerfully. But it also releases the power of God in our lives. When we're walking and living in the authority that God has given us in obedience, it gives us power and that power allows us to, to obey, to walk in, in holiness. So yes, I get that God wants us to live in holiness while at the same time saying it's, it's a holiness that's free from rules and regulations. If I don't have a napkin, uh, I might use a word picture to kind of communicate it. And if it's somebody who's married, um, I, I, uh, I will have been married 35 years in October. Thought about that this week. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's for Kathy um, because most of you know me. Um, so that was for Kathy, I know. Um, anyway, you know, when, when we got married almost 35 years ago, you know, I, I knew what the rules were. We, we said them out loud. You know, I said, you know, I'll, I'll cherish you. And I'll, you know, take care of you in sickness and in health. And, you know, I'll, I'll be faithful until, you know, death parts us. I, I even signed a document that, you know, I got it. I do. Here we go. And then... Like all of us, we find out after we've been married for a little bit, there are some other rules that weren't the ones you agreed to to start with. You know, every contract has fine print, you know this. You know, so I would, I would just tell this person, you know, you, you, you discover that in marriage. And then I would say this. Now, if I actually saw my marriage to my beautiful wife, Kathy, as a contract a list of obligations, just a list of rules, I would end up being angry and frustrated and resentful and exhausted and tired from trying to be a husband that I've not been able to be. You know, it'd wear me out. But I don't think of my marriage to Kathy as a contract. I, I, I am passionately in love with that woman. I mean, I love her. 
And so those things that she needs, what we jokingly called fine print a minute ago, those, those things, I, I, I want to figure those out. I want to be the one to do those in her life. I, I want to try to do that. I, I'm still not perfect at it. But it doesn't exhaust me to pursue that because of my love for her. And the same is true for God. If you passionately love God, his, <laughs> Jesus said, my yoke, my, my standard for your life is not going to be wearisome if you do it out of love for me, if you're pursuing it out of love. And so that's, that's the, this movement that we have. It's that obedience to God comes out of relationship, a loving relationship. Now last week we, we looked at kind of the opposite of that which is religion and we defined religion. This is, this is a, a, the definition I have personally adopted. It's not original with me but I've adopted this as my own. It's just simply this. Religion is man's attempt to appease God and earn his favor by working harder you know to be better. So it's kind of working hard enough to get good enough so that you can be accepted by God. And I know for some of you when, you, when you hear that definition, you may think, well, yeah, that's Christianity. No, it's not Christianity. That is something completely different. That is not what the Testaments, old or new, really, really teach. But so many Christians just believe that. And then there's some who will tell you they don't believe it, but they live it. They live that out so much that you're convinced they believe it. Because that's the law that they live by. And then, you know, they, they think, I'll do that and, you know, I'll get to the end of my life and there are going to be these scales. And if, you know, my, my good list outweighs my bad list, God will say, come on in to my heaven. No. Here's what, here's what Jesus said. You know your lists? I'm going to take them on me. And if you'll trust me, you don't ever have to think about either of these stupid lists again. I'll own your lists. And here's what. My list is perfect. You can have my list. Just live by that. Just live out of it because it's all been done for you. You, you, don't, you don't need lists to weigh on scales or anything like that. Jesus said it's done. And Paul experiences that. He, 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 he comes to know that and he falls so deeply in love with Jesus. He wants to, everybody to know it. And so Paul experiences a call from God and he goes to begin planting churches. And one of the places they start is in a Roman province of Galatia. And he and a guy named Barnabas go there. And they, they go and they proclaim this really good news about Jesus. And people get a little uncomfortable. There, there, are, there are people, religious leaders, who especially get very uncomfortable about this. Now, some people believe. Some people receive and start living by it and are, are set free. But others, especially the religious types, they don't like it. So they run them out of town. And they go to the next town, kind of same thing happens. Third town, same thing happens this time. They stone Paul practically to death. They think he's not dead. He goes back into town. Then they go to another town. And then... I love this about Paul and Barnabas. After they've kind of made that journey, you know, I would, after all that ridicule and beating and stuff, I'd probably just head home. They go back. They go back to the place where popular opinion is, most of us hate you, dude. Most of us want to kill you. That's the, the, the popular opinion of the people in those cities. And Paul shows up in the town and says, I'm okay with that. I'm okay that the popular polls don't rank me up there. I'm okay, I'm okay with that. And here's why. Because Paul has been set free from oligodoxophobia. There's no oligodoxophobia running around in Paul's mind. He is, he is set free from the, the, the opinions of other people. And Paul knows that the things that have set him free, that there are really two things that Christ came to give him. To, to do this. He, see, he's, he's no longer wrapped up in religion and he's no longer wrapped up in trying to impress people. And he knows that for Christians 
who are believers in Galatia, and, and all of them in the church are really fairly new believers, he knows this is going to be a struggle. Because there were two groups in the church at that time. There were Jews who had been converted. To, they'd come to faith. And they were still kind of attached to those rules and restrictions and those kinds of things. Thinking about working hard enough. And th they were struggling with that. And so he writes to them and says, you know, Jesus has done that. You can't do that. The, the law has failed in that capacity. The law was never intended to do that. It was only intended to point to you that you needed a savior. And a lot of people came to believe that and started, started living in that. But the religious leaders came in and said they, 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 they like the rules. See, one of the things that the rules did for them was it did two things. It allowed them to feel superior and it allowed them to be in control, they thought. They thought they could control the opinions of other people if they would live a certain way and everybody would go, ooh, ah, yeah, you're a good one. They, 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 they tried to live that way. Because of they wanted this kind of control. You know, they'd say, yeah, put your hope and trust in Jesus, but keep these rules. And it was killing people. And then there was this other group, these Gentiles, who, who had nothing to do with Jewish faith whatsoever. And they had believed in Jesus, and they had come, become a, a, a part of the church. But they also knew that they were looked down upon as less than. Less than the Jews. And they were being pressured to adopt Judaism. These rules and rituals as well as following Jesus. And last week we spent a lot of time thinking about those Judaizers and what they did. But now here's what I want you to know. This ticked Paul off. And there is a tone in, Philippi, I mean in Galatians that expresses Paul's agitation. One of the verses particularly really expresses his agitation. It's in uh, Galatians chapter 5 verse 12. And in Galatians chapter 5 verse 12, this is kind of in the context of him talking up to the kind of those, you know, Gentile believers about don't go back to this. He, he says this, I wish those who unsettle you, those who are, who've been lying to you that are telling you you got to keep the rules too. We, remember we talked about circumstances. He said, I wish they would just completely emasculate themselves. Now I want to go ahead and tell you too that the translation that I just gave you there was the kinder, gentler version. If you go, let's say, and read it in the message and the paraphrase, it gets pretty graphic on what Paul's saying. I wish they do. It, 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 Paul was ticked over this. Ticked over this trying to, to put something on to Jesus, perverting Christianity as some kind of religion. Last week, we, we looked at that verse that, you know, we kind of saw a moment ago visually demonstrated, Galatians chapter 5. This is such a key verse to uh, the, the, the book of Galatians, but it's, it, it's, I hope it's a key verse for your life. And it simply says this in Galatians chapter 5 verse 1, verse 1, so Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. Don't, don't get strapped back into that. Don't go back into that prison. You've been set free by the grace of God. Don't get trapped by the opinions of other people. Jesus came to set you free from that. You have freedom in Christ so you can live free. And, and so we love to celebrate that because that's been true for so many of us. But also, like the church in Galatia and the churches in Galatia, so many of us have a tendency to get caught back up into that prison. It's so easy to do. We start filtering the decisions of our lives through the eyes of other people. What will be their opinion? What will they say about me? And so we become prisoners of the opinions of people because religion has taught us that. To work hard enough to be good enough. And inevitably what happens is, you know, it, it feels like we get kind of pushed outside. But Jesus made it very, very clear. Jesus went to the religious leaders of his day. Uh, this is not in your notes. It's not going to come up on the screen. But in Matthew chapter 23, um, you can read about this. Jesus kind of gets, he's gathered with these religious leaders. It's kind of their club. And he tells them, guys, you're paying too much attention to what other people see. He said, you show up for worship and you look good on the outside. But then he tells them, I'll tell you what you really look like to me. What you look like to me is a beautifully manicured cemetery with really white marble stones. Everything's pretty and pristine. But guess what's going on on the inside? Corpses are rotting. Stench is happening. It's nasty. It's full of dead men's bones. 
And he says to that religious club, that's what you're like. And Jesus explains that to religious leaders. Man may look for that manicured, marbled lawn. God doesn't. God's not looking at that or for that. God is looking something much deeper. God's looking at what's going on the inside. And so Jesus comes to set us free from those kinds of lives driven by opinions. I want to give you a few indicators that maybe the opinions of people matter too much. I'm, I'm calling this the signs of phoas. Phoas. Fear of what others say. Phoas. Some of you are saying, why don't you use something else? You know? Doesn't matter. I don't care what you think. The, um... <laughs> you got that. 9.30, there was about three people laughing. I'm just, I am so proud of you. Phoas. Signs of Phoas. This list is not original to me. There's a guy named Peter Scazzera that talks a lot about people's emotional health. And he gave a talk and I listened to it and made some notes. And so this is kind of, kind of from, he didn't use FOAS. He used something probably a whole lot better. But these are signs of FOAS, okay? Um, number one, you go along to get along, but you, later you fill with resentment. And again, the, I'm not quoting him. This is, you go along to get along, but later on you just get filled with resentment, you know. You, you do what people want you to do in the moment, but then the next day, when you don't feel appreciated, it kind of gets under your skin and you get resentful. Another sign of a foas would be that, you know, you change what you believe or, or the way that you express what you believe depending on who's in the room. You know, you, you kind of do that chameleon thing. Uh, about what you think about a, a topic or something like that. Third sign is you avoid social settings or you fear you're going to miss out at social settings. And some of you say, well, aren't those kind of like opposites? Well, they are, but they're all rooted in the opinions of people. That's what they're rooted in. Here's another one. You read something into what other people say or do. Somebody shows up at work having a bad day. And your first thought is, what did I do to cause that? You ever heard that saying, it's not about you? It's not always about you. You may not have done anything there. Uh, another sign that you may struggle with FOAS is this. You have a hard time asking people for help. You, you just have a hard time because you don't want people to think maybe that you're incapable or maybe that, you know, you don't have what it takes. Some of you may, may suffer with FOAS, you know, and it comes out this way. You have a really difficult time saying no to people. Because you're afraid of, you know, what they'll think of you if you tell them no. Another FOAS sign is this. You're very often critical and judgmental about others. That's kind of a default for you. And we see this with the religious leaders that Paul's dealing with. They're terribly critical and judgmental. And it, part of it is a way so they could feel impressed with themselves. You know, it, it, it misplaced, they've misplaced the concerns of other people. Uh, last one, even though there, I, we could go on on this. Um, but this is the last one I want to give you today. It says, you exaggerate the truth to impress. You, you, you take something that is true but then you feel like you gotta kinda add this or that to it and um, in order for people to to be impressed with you and there are again a lot more symptoms out there but this I hope conveys this reality we all struggle with this at some time in our lives somewhere in our lives maybe right now in our lives we we all have a struggle all of us have tried desperately to, you know, fit the opinions of other people in our lives. And Jesus comes saying, I want you free from that. From the opinion polls. And so, he inspires Paul to write to the church at Galatia. And Paul tells the, that, that Jesus gives us two powerful tools so that you and I can overcome oligodoxophobia in our lives. And here are the two powerful tools. First one is a new identity. And the second one is a fresh start. 
And I want to focus on this new identity thing. When we have, when our identity is in Jesus, when it's firmly rooted in Jesus that we are his sons and daughters, you will begin to experience a freedom. And the opinions of others won't, won't matter so much. What people might say loses power over us because of what God has already said about us. And as you grow in that knowledge, as you grow as his child, there's a great thing that becomes true. You know, what other people might say about you just begins to, to, to shrink in its power. It's no longer that big a deal. It becomes more and more increasingly irrelevant in the power it has over your lives. And there's a direct correlation to knowledge of God's opinion as it increases and the diminishing of others' opinions. There's, there's a correlation in that. And we see Paul writing to the church at Galatia about this. We see the way he writes to them. He starts out by saying, in Galatians 1.1, he says, I'm Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. What Paul says is, is I'm an apostle. I've, I've been appointed as an apostle. I've, I'm one who's been sent by Jesus and oh by the way by his daddy. Okay? By God the Father. Both of them are the ones that, that called me out. They're the ones that appointed me to this. I, I love the way the message kind of paraphrases it. It said my authority to write you does not come from any popular vote of people. He says that's where my authority comes from. See Paul understood something and he's writing to the Galatians so that they understand that he understands that not everybody liked him. Not everybody's opinions of him were favorable. You know? And he knew that there was a lot more at stake than popular opinion. He understood what was, you know, what he would be accountable for one day was not going to be did he meet the popular opinion of everybody else, but did he carry out who God designed him to be. It wasn't about everybody else speaking well of him. It was about God saying, well done. You, you lived out your purposes in this life for my glory. My opinion mattered more. And see, Jesus, Jesus warned his followers about this. Um, again, it's not going to come up on the screen. You may want to write this down in Luke chapter 6. Jesus said this to his followers. It's also in Matthew chapter 5, Sermon on the Mount. He says, beware Beware, he says, warning when everybody speaks well of you. You should, something should go off inside your brain if everybody speaks well of you. Some of you remember Pastor Kurt would tell a story about a, a man, I think at his ordination, who gave him this advice. If everybody likes you, you're lying to somebody. Well, that's straight out of scripture. Jesus said, if everybody likes you, you know, Beware. Because all opinions are not going to be favorable. Now some of you say, well, no, Joe, hold on. You know, Romans chapter 12, Paul writes that we should, if we can, live at peace with all men. And, and Peter writes, you know, in 1 Peter chapter 2 that, you know, our reputation among unbelievers matter. You know, we need to live in such a way that they'll give glory to God. Jesus, Jesus knows those verses are in the Bible when he says, beware of living your life so that everybody is pleased with you. Beware. And here's, here's kind of the rub here. If you were living your life in such a way that everybody is pleased with you, that everybody would speak well of you, it might just mean that you're living too safe, you're living too comfortable, you're living a status quo existence, there's no salt in you, there's no light in you, you play no game-changing factor whatsoever. What a reputation to have when you get to heaven. That you, you made no difference. Some of you, I, I, I've known people that have been part of our church who, and some may still be, who you're a little nervous that somebody might find out you go to River Bluff Church. Because on our sign out there it says, you know, we're a Southern Baptist Fellowship. And you don't want anybody to know you go to a Baptist church. Or they may read our website and find out our core beliefs. And our core values. And realize that we take the Bible very seriously. Very seriously. 
And you may not want some of your friends to know that because they, make, they might take shots at you. You know? And that creates a little tension in you. Well, I, I want to say the exact opposite creates tension in me. The, the thought... Of the thought of everybody in Charleston liking our church creates tension in me. Because that would tell me that we're standing for nothing. That we're standing for nothing. Now that doesn't mean we quit doing good or anything. It just means we need to be able to proclaim the truth of the gospel, which is beautiful. But we need to proclaim the whole truth of the gospel. See, if, if everybody likes you, you're probably not challenging enough. There's no conviction coming out of your convictions. And so, don't always think that being non-threatening is the best lifestyle to have. There should be some little movement there. And, and Paul had to struggle with this, obviously. I mean, he grew up in a system which emphasized outward appearance. Think about what everybody's thinking. He came from the right family, went to the right schools, had the right stuff on his resume. And then Jesus comes along and wrecks it. Just completely blows all of that up that Paul had worked so long to have. And now what motivates Paul is no longer that. In fact, Paul writes about this in Galatians 1.10. He says, For am I now seeking the approval of man or God? Or am I trying to please man? He says, If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. He said, I would go do something else. I'd go farm. You know, but this serving Jesus stuff, it gets me in trouble with too many people's opinions. It, it just, it, it wrecks me. I would be doing something else. He said, my goal is not to be liked by everybody. My goal is to be accountable to the one. To the one living and true God. And Paul says, so I'm free from these opinions. I've shared on many occasions about my coming to Christ in this church as a 16-year-old and how people loved me and accepted me and discipled me, poured into my life. Um, why? I don't know, but they did. I'm grateful. And their accepting of me and helping me come to understand what Christianity really is and what it means about me and, and this, this thing that God loves me unconditionally. Man, they just poured that into me. Because at that time in my life, there was nothing that mattered more to me than the opinions of everybody. I tried to make every stinking buddy happy. I just did. And so opinions matter. And about a year after I, I came to know Christ, this was long before I met Kathy, I, had, I did something really stupid. I started dating my boss's daughter. Uh, sister. Not daughter. Sister. And um, we had gone out a couple of times. And we had gone to the movies and came back to her house. And I walked her up to the door. And I worked up the nerve to kiss her goodnight for the very first time. And I kissed her goodnight. And instead of turning right and going back down the two or three stairs... To the, to the sidewalk, I turned left and fell into the rose bushes. Got kind of cut up and, you know, tore my clothes and that kind of stuff. And I then kind of rolled off the rose bushes into the yard, you know, kind of thing. And um, just kind of sat there for a moment. And she, she ran down and she ran upstairs when she I was bleeding and got somebody to come out. And, and while all that was going on, you know, my first thought was, they're going to know about this at work tomorrow. And I never hear the end of it and you know that, that kind of thing about opinions and for the first time I mean I can't I, I wish this was a story about I shared a great testimony you know and took on hell and you know this was just how it happened in my life for the very first time I, I sat there on the ground and got tickled internally and then I kind of started laughing out loud because I got to thinking who cares what they think who cares? And a thought just kind of welled up inside of me. And for the very first time in my life that I remember, it didn't matter. It didn't have authority in my life anymore. Now, we didn't date much longer either, but, which was a good thing. Thank God for that. But, um, and I remember, you know, a few weeks later thinking, something has changed. Something has changed in me that this... This no longer, and that gave me boldness. 
It gave me a boldness to begin witnessing and talking about my faith that I did not have before because I thought I was trapped in people's opinions. Jesus was setting me free. He was setting me free from that, that life driven by that. It was the first time I was really conscious it was that Jesus had set me free. And I was going to start living in that. Stop being caught up in that. And here's, here's the news that you may not know about that issue. It doesn't matter what you do. People are always going to have opinions about you. I don't care what you do. They're going to have false, broken, stupid opinions about you. All the time. Now, I need you to hear me say this. You know, um, being a pastor in, in the public eye, I sometimes go back across that stupid bridge and have to come back again. You know, I, I, I start getting caught up in what people think. And I have to press into the reality that I'm accountable to God. Now, I'm accountable in relationships to our elders and, and to you. But, you know, I'm accountable to the voice of my Father. The purpose that He created me for. Not how many people show up to our church. You know, I can't live for that. But what God has called me to. And, and friends, please hear this. It's true for you too. What God has called you to. The position God has put you in. Where you live. Where you work. Where you play. In your neighborhoods. To be faithful to what God has called you to. And again, Paul was familiar with this journey. This journey towards freedom. We read this that Paul would have understood from Jesus. Jesus, again, addressing religious leaders in Matthew 5, 23, says, everything they do is for men to see. He said, don't live that way. Paul would have known that. Paul would have known that only leads to outward appearance. And he had quit living that way. Jesus came to set him free from all that. And that's why he's able to pin these words from Galatians 2.20. He said this. He said, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Great words. We, I mean, we love those words. Christ living in me. And typically, when you hear that passage of Scripture being used, it's oftentimes attached to a testimony about how, how horrible and sinful my old life had been, how I had been carousing and drinking and drugging, and I was just as rebellious as they came. That was my old life, and, and Christ set me free. That is not the context of Galatians 2.20. That's not the context of this rebellious kind of, kind of life. Instead, I'm, I want you to look at it with me. I'm going to use the, the kind of the paraphrase um, from the message because it really catchers, captures it. He said that Paul in verse 19 said this, I tried keeping rules, working my head off to please God and it didn't work. So I quit being a lawman so I could be God's man. Christ's life showed me how and enabled me to do it and I identified myself completely, completely with him. See, we see Paul introducing himself here. No longer introducing himself as a Pharisee or a keeper of the law or educational credentials or family pedigree or anything like that. Paul just begins to introduce himself. I'm a slave of Christ. And he goes on in verse 20 here and he says, I identified my completely that way just with Jesus not with all that other stuff indeed I have been crucified with Christ my ego is no longer in control it is no longer important that I appear righteous before you or have what your good opinion it's not what I'm living for he says it's no longer what you think of me doesn't matter and then he says this he says and I'm no longer driven to impress God Somebody says, okay, I think, you know, I think that paraphrase is wrong. No, think about it. What he's saying is, I don't have to worry whether or not God likes me or not. Jesus settled that on the cross. I don't have to live concerned about that. that, that God's opinion has been made very, very clear. All I got to do is look at the cross. Jesus, Jesus took care of how God feels about me. And then he closes this passage out by saying, so, Christ lives in me. The life that you see me living, not mine, but it is lived by faith in the Son of God who loved me, gave himself for me, and I love the way he ends this, so I'm not 
going back on that. Paul says, I'm not going back to that. I have been set free to live free. I'm going to stay free. I am not going back to that. The grace of Jesus is too marvelous. I'm not going back. The love of God is too powerful. I'm not going back. I am going to live unshackled. I'm not going back to prison. I'm not going to be evaluated by the eyes of anybody else. Only through the eyes of God will I allow myself to be evaluated. Some of you, <coughs> excuse me, don't know what that is. <coughs> Some of you will remember <coughs> last week as we talked about Acts chapter 13 and 14. Paul and Barnabas going into those cities and coming out, you know, and being run out and coming out and, you know, going to the next city and then getting run out and beaten and all those kind of things. I remember reading that and thinking, if that had been me, I would have interpreted that as a, must be a closed door. But th these guys didn't. They just, they pressed in, they pressed on. They went back for more. And it was because they knew that the most important thing is what God says. Not your opinions. Not the opinions of the, the religious leaders in that day. And Paul highlights this, I think, in the letter when he writes in what we know as Galatians 3, 26 through 28. He says this, for you are all children of God. If you've trusted Christ, you need to know you are a child of God. That, that's who you are. You're a child of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 27 says, And all who have been united with Christ in baptism, baptized in the Spirit, put on the character of Christ. Like putting on new clothes is what the Scripture is. It's being clothed in that. You have this new identity. You're no longer that old person. It's, it's the life of Christ if you've trusted Him. And he closes with verse 28. He says, So labels... Like being Jew or Gentile or slave or free or male or female. You're all one in Christ. You don't, all those opinions and labels, those things don't matter. The identity that you have in Jesus overrides. The identity that you have in Jesus supersedes every other opinion out there. Or thought about you. What really matters. The only thing that matters. Is what God has said about you. Let's pray. Father, we are coming to this time in our service where we come to kind of close our time in worship to you. And we worship God in some tangible ways. We, we, we will sing and glorify you that way. We'll give and glorify you that way. We'll, we'll do that sacrificially. We'll give you back your tithe. But God, this is also a time to make decisions. A time in our service to just come before you and to say, God, what are you saying to me? God, what do you want me to do with this? God, where, where am I living for the opinions of others more than I'm living for what you have said about me? How am I living that out, God? And so right now, some of you may just need to do business with God himself. And confess it. Confess that this person or that person has control over you right now that you need to be released from. And you just need to go to Jesus and say, Jesus, I need that out of my identity. I need that authority so I can live powerfully for you. So that I can live that life of obedience, not out of fear, but out of relationship of love. If you know Christ, maybe right now today you need to be set free. Maybe, maybe that list that we read out earlier describes you in so many ways, or maybe just one way. And the Holy Spirit is telling you today to let it go. Don't let the opinions of others control your obedience to God. And Father, we come now also with an awareness that maybe, maybe there's somebody here for the very first time today that just thought that that was what life was about, was just being controlled by the opinions of others.
and did not know, Jesus, that part of what you came to set us free from is, is a toxic life of opinions of others. And if that's true of you, and today you're saying, Jesus, I want to be set free. I'm tired of being in this prison. Maybe you just need to come to Jesus and say, Jesus, for the very first time, I'm coming trusting that what you did on the cross can set me free. I'm coming for the very first time, Jesus, believing that your death and your life, your death, your burial, your resurrection has power for my life today. That it can strengthen me this day so that I live by what you say as what matters most. And maybe right there where you're at, you just need to call upon the name of the Lord and say, Jesus, help me. Help me live out of more of what you've designed me for, the purposes you've created me for, than I'm living out of the opinions of others. The Bible says we do two things. We, we trust and we repent. We turn from trying to live that way, trying to live by those rules and regulations so everybody will fully accept us so that we could be finally accepted by God. And you can do that right where you're at. Just call upon the name of the Lord Jesus and tell him, I choose to trust you for my salvation eternally and to save me and break the shackles in my life now. And I'm turning from trying to do it myself to letting you do it. I give you my lists and I take on yours. Jesus, we come now. We come to worship. We come to celebrate your goodness. We come to be set free from that fear of what everybody else thinks. And we want to live for what you think. Convince us in these moments that we're your child and that's what matters more than anything else. Thanks for listening. If you're in North Charleston this Sunday, please consider visiting us at our 9 o'clock or 1130 services. We'd love to see you. Again, for more information, visit riverbluff.org. Now go change the world.